0: Well, this week, as I enjoyed Thanksgiving with a, a smaller segment of my family than usual, there was a correspondingly small amount of a sin that uh, sometimes uh, I am very quick to engage in and that sometimes you might hear quite a bit of in my family. Certainly, it was true growing up. Uh, and Before you jump to it, I know you're going to think gluttony. But no, 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 that was, the usual amount of that was there. Uh, but no, it's strife. It's strife. It's something that my father, uh, a word that my father would use a lot around our house, house growing up because uh, we were quite often, I, uh, a key uh, cog in this uh, machine, uh, were, uh, were engaging in strife of some kind, some Uh, seemingly major, some seemingly minor. Uh, But children of lawyers, of a lawyer, you tend to have that. And I have to say, my father uh, encouraged our argumentation skills uh, himself, and uh, the fruits of that uh, were evident when we would argue around the dinner table about every little thing, sometimes good-naturedly, sometimes less so. Well, if you were paying any attention in the last couple of weeks, there were a, a spate of articles about uh, the how to deal with strife during family get-togethers during Thanksgiving, and they were mostly in the political sphere. How to avoid political strife in your family during Thanksgiving. And that was something that I think a lot was an article that was fairly prevalent because it was a, something that a lot of people wanted to avoid. Arguments, disputes, things that would destroy the unity of a family at a time in which the focus ought to be on gratitude and uh, a blessing that comes from gathering together. And I think each one of us can see in certain areas of our culture that strife is ever more a part of our culture, is ever more a... uh, not just an occasional state of being, but for uh, some people, a permanent state of being. And these things, uh, this uh, culture of strife is something that has, in fact, infected many churches. We have seen in the last year, I've seen studies to suggest that uh, this last 18 months or so has been a time of great strife and argumentation and division in churches. Uh, Large churches and smaller churches have had church splits, have had people leaving, have had pastors uh, leaving, in fact, the ministry over a variety of strifes. And so we see this as an increasing, or at least uh, I would posit that this is an increasing problem in our world, in our nation, and in our churches. And so it's important for us to understand what it is that we're talking about when we talk about strife. Why is it an issue? Why is it a problem? And what are we to do about it? And of course, whenever we talk about any truth of scripture, we need to talk about balancing truths as well. Because for some, in our churches, in our world, in our, uh, in our nation, uh, the balancing truth is the issue. And so we're going to explore this this uh, topic tonight, this topic of strife. We're going to uh, explore what the Bible says about it and how we ought to apply it in our daily lives. But before we get into that, let's start with a word of prayer. Dear Lord, I thank you for uh, this uh, time that we can gather tonight. Lord, I thank you for leading each one of us here. Lord, I thank you for... Uh, the unity of of this body. Lord, I thank you for the unity that we can have with you. Lord, I pray that uh, these words from Scripture tonight would be edifying to all of our hearts, and Lord, that you would give us the grace to apply them. In your name, amen. All right, so we start off in chapter 4. That's what I read. Uh, And yet, Chapter 4 isn't a new thought. Chapter 4 is an extension of the end of chapter 3. Uh, the book of James, uh, and there are some epistles and there are some books of, the, of Scripture that are much more um, a collection of thoughts, but James kind of flows from one idea to another. These ideas are interconnected. And we see the end of uh, chapter 3, Uh, being an understanding of wisdom. And wisdom has been a theme in James since the first chapter. But James is saying, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, that uh, if you want to know and understand what true wisdom is, and if you want to be able to identify wise uh, people in your body, well, The wisdom will be shown out of a good conversation, works with meekness of wisdom. But, if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth, this wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there's confusion and every evil work. So, James is starting off by saying, listen, if you want, we've been talking about wisdom, we've been talking about the tongue and the fire that a tongue can light. And wisdom is contrasted with envyings and strifes. This wisdom, this earthly wisdom, this devilish wisdom, is it's earthly, it's sensual, it's del- uh, devilish. But if you want to know what actual Uh, Godly wisdom is, this wisdom is pure, first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. This isn't the only uh, part of Scripture that talks about this. We see throughout Scripture uh, uh, the opposition to the fruits of the Spirit. The fruits of the flesh include strife. Uh, and disputations. And James sets this up to then tie uh, this strife, this spirit of envying and strife, confusion, to demonstrate the root of this sin. Because the fact is, I think it is very useful for us as an exercise, both to take a searching Examination of our own sin. That's useful, that's important, as led by the Spirit. To say, Spirit, what sins am I dealing with in my life? But also to attempt to dig down with the Spirit's guidance to what root issues are prompting those sins. Sometimes, as Christians, we can get very engaged in dealing with symptoms and not treating diseases. And oftentimes, Those symptoms are the uh, outward expressions of specific sins without dealing with the inward sinful nature or attitude that is prompting them. This is what James says. Listen, the wars and fightings, the strife, the disputation, the argumentation, the the disunity, they come from somewhere. This is what, uh, again, uh, James is doing by digging. He's not simply saying, don't have strife. That would be simple enough. He's not simply saying, uh, have peace one with another. That's said elsewhere in Scripture. As much as lieth within us, to be at peace with all men. But he's saying, let's dig a little bit deeper. What does this strife reveal? Well, the wars and fightings... The brawlings is another word for this. Come from the lusts that war in your members. Well, how is it? How is this the case? Well, strife in many circumstances. And I would say that strife, when, and when we're using the term strife, we'll, we'll talk about the balancing truth. There are times in which we are called to argue. There are times in which we are called to defend Uh, 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 godly uh, principles when we are called to defend from Scripture. But when we're talking about strife, we're talking about a certain attitude, I think a certain type of interaction, a certain type of relationship that each one of us probably can recognize as having been present in our lives at some point and potentially being a relatively... Uh, common occurrence in our life now. And this type of strife, this type of ungodly strife, this strife that James is saying is sinful, comes from lust. It comes from lust, specifically desires unfulfilled. Now we see it, it's it's really chapter four is great because it shows so many of the interrelationships between sin murder killing not simply in the actual physical sense of murder but in terms of hatred in terms of just abusive conduct of of any kind is not does not exist in a vacuum it's tied to strifes it's tied to envyings it's tied to lust lust not simply necessarily in a sensual sense but in desires, strong desires for things that we do not have. And what is this lust ultimately a product of these desires? They're ultimately a product of adultery. They're ultimately a product of pride as well. All of these things form this kind of toxic stew that comes ultimately and is related to Carnality, love of the world. If we desire in an ungodly sense the things of the world, it is a perfect indication that our lives are revolving around the things of this world. That is where our desire, where our heart is placed on the things of this world. If our desire is truly, fully towards God, we will not see this sort of covetousness, we will not see this type of envy. If our love is towards and our passion is towards God and his best, we won't have this this desire to kill, this fighting and warring. These are all connected. And this is important because all of these connections demonstrate the health of the Christian. This is something that we know because the scripture specifically says, uh, gives a variety in two different places, a variety of conditions for acting as an elder. There's uh, further a list uh, for acting as a deacon. But both of them specify, along with uh, the health of their family, being an indication of the health of their relationship with God, both of them... There's also a, a, a focus on hospitality, another thing that is a demonstration of the health of their a relationship with God and their love for others. But both of them specify that they should not be brawling men. They should not be given to strife, to argumentation, to disp- disputation uh, in a brawling angry, vindictive sense. In fact, this sort of uh, brawling, this sort of warring, this sort of fighting is in opposition to the meekness that ought to characterize the man of God. And why is this? How is this an indication of the state of a spiritual person? Well, all the way through verse 10... All of these verses, I believe, are connected to this topic of strife. So we could, if we were just looking at this from a a, a 30,000 foot level, just stop on the subject of strife with verse 1. Yet it continues, as I said, Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight in war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lusts. We quote verses 2 and 3 all the time in reference to our prayer life, but they're in the context of strife, of wars, of fightings. When we are not obtaining what we desire, one way that we can know that our request is not being granted because of our own heart is because of our reaction to our prayer request not being granted. Our our desires unfilled, unfulfilled, in an earthly sense, if they lead to a, uh, a, a problem in our relationship with God, a distance from God, or if they lead to uh, problems with other Christians or other people, then that is an indication that that particular aspect of our desire is out of balance. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. This is a a useful exercise. If we see things that we have prayed for and others have obtained, maybe we're praying for a new job and somebody else gets it, promotion, somebody else gets it. Some specific answer to prayer or some specific state of being and somebody else has it, and it causes strife. It causes a worsening of our relationship with other people. It causes envyings, even if that is not expressed to that other person. Well, that is an indication that that desire that we are praying to God for was, in truth, to satisfy our own desires. And it's uh, made specific here. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. This is something that Scripture says and that is very difficult for us to truly apply in our lives. Number one, because we live in a world that is increasingly uh, 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 exalting the material of this world, and therefore it is very difficult to not uh, place our uh, desire on things, material things of this world. But even more so, the thing this world is is uh, increasingly focused on image. Is increasingly focused on a variety of things that are tangible, and that lead to comparison. And this is something that leads to strife. Strife, fighting, is generally in connection with the obtaining of some sort of finite resource. Generally, when everybody has what they want, there's a lot more peace than when people start looking at what other people have or seeing other people as uh, uh, some uh, in competition with them for some finite resource, but what does it say uh, uh, later in this chapter? Do you think that the do you think that the scripture saith in vain the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? Spirit here, of course, not being the the Holy Spirit, but our old man. That old man that is in us lusts. It's a great description of what our flesh does. It desires. It desires that it might be consumed upon our lusts. That is, the old man that we are fighting against. But he giveth more grace. That's something that is a reminder of why strife ought not to exist in us. Because we serve an inexhaustible God. We serve a God for whom supply never runs out. The grace that God gives us, that he promises to us, is something that uh, uh, never uh, is lessened by what somebody else has. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. And the rest of this uh, this uh, passage, to chapter two, verse ten, is about humbling ourselves in a variety of w- different ways. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. That is, submit yourself to His will and to his higher purposes for your life. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, so ye you don't mind it. This is part of the humbling ourselves process. This is part of the dying to our own desires and our own lust process. And then be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. A humble person is generally not a brawling person. I think probably each one of you have uh, seen and experienced that. People who are humble, people who are meek, and therefore people who are not brawlers, who are not uh, strivers, who are not fighters. Now again, it's important, and we'll get into this in the balancing truth. This is not to say that they are not soldiers. We are to resist the devil. We are to uh, certainly not uh, uh, relax or be comfortable. We are to be engaged in resistance to the devil and in purification, uh, affliction at times when that is called for. But this is in the spiritual realm. We are meant to be humble in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift us up. Now, This is the first principle. Now, we know that this is uh, the case because of some underlying principles. Just as there are underlying principles, underlying causes of strife, everyone standing for our own rights, everyone seeking to protect our own interests, everyone seeking to uh, uh, get our own gain. We also know that uh, the meekness, the humility that comes from a peaceable, peaceable soul comes from a recognition of a few different principles. We see in John chapter 18, verse 36 that Jesus said very specifically that the reason his servants don't fight is because Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. Our strife is not earthly strife because the kingdom that we serve is not of this world. That's a basic underlying truth. Another underlying truth is not simply that the interests that we are seeking to promote are not of this world, but the second is that our enemies are not flesh and blood. Those are not who we wrestle against. We wrestle against principalities and powers. Just as our kingdom is not of this world, the kingdom we are seeking to overthrow and we are battling against and that we are resisting is also not of this world. And the third principle that is underlying this, that is uh, 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 something that uh, should obviate the need for strife in our lives, is the understanding that God is omnipotent and loves us. Now that's a certainly... Uh, something that we almost accept as a truism, but it's something that's very important for us to remember in times of strife. Sometimes in our times of strife, we forget that God is able to do whatever we're striving to get done. And if we actually sit and think, well, maybe God's not going to take a hand in this particular argumentation, probably a pretty good indication that it's not worth arguing about in a striving-type fashion, in a brawling-type fashion, where uh, uh, ill feelings are evoked. And I think each one of us can think of times in which our passions were aroused, in which we engaged in strife that actually perhaps even affected relationships, over trivialities. Arguments about sports, arguments about some fact, certainly arguments about politics at times, arguments about cultural matters, arguments about slights or other issues in relationships, where in retrospect we go, boy, that, that wasn't really worth it. That wasn't valuable. That wasn't something that was uh, 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 strife for any sort of useful purpose. Now, as we see that strife is a sin, it's a problem, it's a destructive force, we also have to, of course, before we go on, look at a balancing truth. The balancing truth is that sometimes disputing is necessary, right? Right? There are many who, uh, in kind of a uh, perverted form of meekness, would say, well, we just don't, that's your opinion, our opinion, we keep to ourselves, and listen, let's just let everybody do their own thing. And to some extent, this is tempting. But if we look at the examples from Scripture, including of Jesus Christ, we could see that there is, of course, a balancing truth. Jesus Christ was not shy to strongly rebuke at times. So rebuking is not necessarily strife. Now rebuking can be strife, but rebuking, including rebuking strongly, is not necessarily strife. In fact, Jesus even at times, at, at, at one specific time, Physically threw people out of the temple. Well, confrontation at various times may not necessarily be strife in a sinful sense. We're not. Uh, this is not a principle in general that means that we are that we necessarily in all situations simply ignore uh, the. Uh, spirits leading sometimes to quite vigorously defend the faith. However, and I spoke about this uh, in one of, one of the last times I spoke, it's very tempting when there's a limiting principle or a balancing principle to use that balancing principle to justify what we want to do in a particular situation. Right? That is something that I have talked about before. If we can find a balancing principle, boy, that's useful, because then if, for example, the person asks for money from us and we don't want to give it to them, we had our heart set on using that money on something else, boy, it's easy to go to that balancing principle and say, if a man doesn't work, shouldn't eat. All right, so the Bible does say, give to him that asks, but man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat, and therefore I'm going to justify not giving to this person, perhaps somebody that I was called to actually give to. And the fact is that if we have a, uh, a spirit that desires to argue and to engage in strife, no, again... Let's make a a difference here. Arguing not in the sense of standing for truth in a specific situation, but engaging in strife. There is a difference. A difference that leads to the suffering of relationships, that leads to anger, that leads to ill-feeling, that leads to disunity. If we wish to engage in strife, in many times, we could say, "Well, you know, look at the look at the Bible calls people generation of vipers, whited walls." So I'm justified in whatever I'm saying or whatever I'm engaging in. Whatever my uh, my natural fleshly desire is to spring out in some form of strife or disputation or brawling, well, this is something that is justified because of and then we come up with some example from rhetoric from Paul uh, or, or Peter or We say, okay, well, this is, this is justified. But it's important to see, as I said, that although it is certainly we are called upon to courageously courageously uh, uh, speak truth, speak truth no matter the consequence, speak truth no matter the consequence of, uh, uh, to relationships, to our, even our own lives, that this is not a justification for the type of sensual, earthly, devilish strifes, envyings, confusions, and evil works that are described in James. So you, uh, you, you're, you're listening to me and you go, James, well, okay, that's, that's good. It sounds like there are some times in which it is appropriate to vigorously stand for truth in a certain uh, way that might uh, seem like strife, and then there are other times in which we are not called to do it. Well what are the what are some of the principles for application what are the principles for application uh in our daily lives and I think there are some uh, applications that we uh, can find we could find throughout scripture I've, i in looking through throughout scripture that uh there are a variety of areas, but they are fairly clearly defined, in which a strong, I would say, aggressive, uh, a disputation, in a sense, is justified. And when we look throughout Scripture, we see this exemplified, specifically in talking about clear and basic principles of Scripture. And generally, in connection with uh, applying those truths of Scripture to people who are claiming the cause of God and who are resisting the faith. Now this is something that uh, uh, we see, I think, throughout Scripture. The strongest words in scripture, tend to be reserved for those who are claiming the cause of Christ, but are seeking to turn others from the truth. So there is a time for what we might characterize as disputations, as argument, as perhaps even disunity or strife, to be handled in the appropriate manner. Well, the appropriate manner is uh, uh, laid out in Matthew chapter 18. And that is an attempt to deal with it privately and then going up, as it were, the chain internally in the church to try to resolve it. And I think it's also important to say that this does not necessarily, and sometimes I think this has been applied this way, I think, wrongfully, this does not uh, mean that uh, that all church issues or even Familial issues are to be, in all circumstances, handled in-house. That is sometimes used as an excuse to cover up issues that actually are to be uh, brought before the law. There are circumstances in which God has given the sword to uh, the ruler, to the state, and there are certain criminal and other um, issues that, uh, that perhaps... Even as in Matthew 18, maybe you're going to try to confront that person about it, but there are some crimes that need to be reported and to be investigated. However, in general, when there are uh, strifes or disputations, they are meant to be handled in this manner. Going to a person privately, then perhaps taking one more with you, then going to the, the elders in the body, and perhaps engaging eventually in church discipline and separation. So there is a time for that. And if that is to be handled in the, in the correct way. Yet that argumentation, that strife, is and should be about real matters of scriptural truth. Because we see throughout scripture that if there is strife or a dispute about something that does not have to do with the truth of scripture, The principle is that generally we ought to give place. If I have a dispute with somebody else, if they have wronged me in some way, the general principle is that I turn the other cheek. That I don't defend my rights uh, uh, as wholeheartedly as my flesh would desire to. Now again, there are limiting principles here, but our tendency is to let those limiting principles devour the whole principle uh, in itself. Now the scripture also says that even in some areas of scripture we ought not to be engaged in strife or disputing. The scripture says in Romans chapter fourteen about doubtful disputations about matters of eating or matters of days, things which were of great uh, dispute and discussion at the time. Scripture said don't don't let this turn to strife. Don't uh, don't let this turn to doubtful disputations. Uh, uh, And we we see this uh, throughout Scripture imploring us to have our minds focused on more important things on more important things. It's often been said about academia that the fights in academia are so strong because the stakes are so low. And we often find that to be the case, that in our relationships, in our friendships, the fights take on great importance when if we're able to achieve some emotional distance or the distance of time, we're able to look back and go, boy, that was really silly. That I allowed this to uh, 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 make my heart roiled with anger, with jealousy, with strife. That allowed me to have distance between myself and another, uh, another Christian, or somebody else, perhaps in my family or my friendship. This strife was related to something of no value. Uh, we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, six, verse seven, uh, Titus verses three uh, or chapter three, verse nine. We see throughout Scripture how many times these sorts of disputings, these sort of this sorts of this sort of strife, comes from things of no no real value. And even if we turn uh, 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 to the next book. In 1 Peter chapter 2, we see that we are called not even to be engaged in disputings with our bosses, with our political leaders. We see in verses 13 and 14, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to be the king as supreme or the governors, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. This is, this is something that we are called to do. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't engage in the processes that we have been, uh, that are our responsibility as citizens of a nation. But to the extent we are engaged in strife, that we are engaged in fightings and warrings, in matters of this world, this is something that is a danger to us. Not simply in the political realm, but think about how much strife comes up in our employment realm, the scripture says that you, uh, you need to uh, work with your masters as unto God, not engaged in, in strife and not engaged in uh, sort of uh, wars or brawlings. This is something that ought to characterize the Christian. A Christian ought to be characterized by being a peacemaker, by being meek certainly not afraid to stand for truth, but in a, uh, a manner, in a uh, way of conversation, a way of uh, acting with our uh, fellow human beings, our fellow Christians, uh, that are not characterized by wars and fightings. Now, I think, as usual, the best way to uh, uh, really Uh, The best example, of course, the best way to follow and understand our responsibility when it comes to uh, uh, our interactions with the people around us is, of course, Jesus Christ. We see in Jesus Christ, again, as I said, somebody who is not afraid to rebuke and, and indeed to rebuke sharply. We see somebody who was not afraid to stand strongly for truth, even when it was extremely unpopular. We see a man who was not afraid at times to take action. And yet we also see in Jesus a man who was meek, a man who was willing to suffer even when he did not have to do so. A man who was willing to be uh, 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 betrayed, when he could have stopped it, A man who did not rail upon Judas when he could have. Think about how painful betrayal is. And think of the the words that come to mind. The feeling of strife, the feeling of anger, the feeling of uh, 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 just antipathy that comes to mind when you think of past betrayals, even betrayals that are long ago. And Jesus, at the time, knew he was being betrayed. And what was his response to it? What was his response to those coming to him with, uh, with uh, clubs, <laughs> with swords? Uh, what was his reaction when his disciples took up arms against them? We see in Jesus uh, 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 his attitude when false uh, testimony was being brought against him. Throughout his life, we see in Jesus a man... In whom there was not strife. And why? Why was Jesus' life not characterized through, uh, through, uh, uh, by strife, even occasionally? Why was this not a characteristic of him? Even when his disciples expected it to be? Even when they were kind of hoping that there'd be a little bit more strife? Because again, his kingdom was not of this world. The things that he was fighting for and the enemies that he was fighting against were not of this world. And the things that he were, was fighting for, he knew that he was not going to uh, not be able to obtain. Now certainly he had some fleshly desires. Not in a, 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 a sinful sense, but his body had desires at times. Occasionally his body wanted to sleep. He had, desire, he had a desire that the cup pass away from him. And yet, even at that point, there was no strife between him and God. He was not fighting against God's will. He was saying, thy will be done. We see this uh, epitomized in Jesus' life. And this is something that we find completely, I would say, absent uh, in our lives in a fleshly sense. Now, there are some people, clearly, who are more apt to be peaceable than others. For some people, it's more natural than for others. Some people are more natural peacemakers. Some people are more naturally affable. Some people are more naturally able to uh, uh, perhaps uh, die to their own rights. And yet I think in almost everybody, perhaps uh, maybe even I would say everybody, there are desires. There are lusts of some kind. There are fleshly impulses. And when those fleshly impulses are stymied by circumstances or by others, there is uh, anger, there is strife, even if it's not always expressed, even if in a kind of a Minnesota nice sense the mask is placed on. And all of that is not wise. All of that is fleshly. All of that is carnal. All of that is not recognizing... The friendship of the world being enmity with God. It is not recognizing the eternal uh, hope that we have and the eternal focus that we ought to have on a day-to-day basis. And what is another word for that eternal focus? What is another word for that focus on the good that God promises us? Eternally and on a day-to-day life. Through the fruit of his spirit. What is another word for that focus? I would submit that it is wisdom. When we are engaged in strife, when we are engaged in brawlings and battlings and war, then I think we ought to stop. We ought to say, whence is this coming? In my life. Where is this coming from? Is this coming from lusts, warring in my members? Things I desire? Some outcome I desire that's outside of my grasp in an earthly sense that I really want, that I want to fight for? Is it, uh, is it uh, a, a, some earthly thing that I'm asking for from God that I'm not obtaining? Some idol that I've made of an earthly end or outcome? Is it love and desire for the things of this world? Is it envy? Is it uh, a uh, unbalanced relationship with the things of God? Is it a lack of humility? Is it a lack of submission? I would say that in every circumstance where ungodly strife is afflicting us, that we are engaging in it, one or more of these things is present in it. And therefore, it is something that as we uh, submit ourselves to God and as we draw nigh to Him, as we seek wisdom that we know will be given to us if we ask, it is something that can also identify through the grace of God, through the Spirit's leading, the weak points in our life that are sprouting into this particular sin, the roots that we have allowed to grow. ...that are leading to this ungodly fruit. And I pray that we each engage in this sort of analysis regularly. Because this is the exact sort of sin... ...that springs up, I would say, uh, unexamined. There are certain sins that we are very, very clear on. Right? There are certain sins... Perhaps sexual sins, perhaps sins of anger, where there is no confusion in our hearts as to whether that sin is present. And then there are other sins that uh, turn into blind spots that we cannot, that we may not even notice, have crept in and that have become a part of our life and perhaps are affecting our lives, are affecting our relationships with others, and uh, our uh, affecting our relationship with God. So this is something, an analysis that I plan to engage in, because I'll tell you what, as I sit here and I uh, preach to you tonight, I'm thinking back, as I was preparing for this, I was thinking back on a variety of strifes and, and uh, argumentations and disputations that in retrospect were vain, that in retrospect were of no uh, eternal consequence that I engaged in in the last week, in the last two weeks, in the last month and then in retrospect I was able to say wow I engaged in that empty useless dispute it caused me to perhaps even uh, uh, my, my passions to be aroused, my anger to come out or uh, some form of other negative uh, feeling to come out ungodly uh, uh, point of view. And that was a reflection of something deeper, a reflection of some other attitude, of some other uh, area of my life uh, in which sin was growing unexamined. And I hope that each one of us can engage in that same sort of analysis as uh, the Holy Spirit gives us wisdom, as the Holy Spirit sheds light on our lives. Because the fact is, we see this Throughout scripture, that strife, that disunity, strife that comes from earthly sensual things is one of the greatest destroyers of a ministry, a church ministry, a personal ministry, a family ministry that can possibly exist. The devil loves to sow discord. The devil loves to destroy unity. And the devil especially loves it if he can create that discord and create that strife over uh, things that are of no eternal consequence or merit. So let's each one of us examine ourselves and examine ourselves uh, even as we come to communion tonight and throughout this week uh, in ways that we have allowed the sin to creep in. And if, if it has not creeped in in your life, praise the Lord but examine if it has, and also go further and examine the source for it. So now let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Lord, I I thank you for uh, the fact that we can dwell at unity with each other and with you. Lord, that is something that is a great blessing. And Lord, uh, we can know that as we draw nigh to you, that you will draw nigh to us. Lord, that well, we do not have to be at enmity with you, that you came to earth and you died on the cross so that we might be, uh, uh, have a spirit of unity and be joined to you. Lord, I thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you would give us that spirit, uh, one with another and with you. Lord, that that spirit would come from purity, that spirit would come from humility, that spirit would come from the fruits of your spirit working in our lives. In your name, amen. All right, we will now.